guys and welcome to Happy Single Mums, a podcast surrounding real single mummy life. So here's your host, me, Khalifa. Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Single Mums podcast. I'm your host, Khalifa. Today we have a wonderful lady. Her name is Mel Johnson. She has her own Instagram page called The Stalk and I. Um, and it's all about solo parenting. And she's actually the first UK solo parenting coach. I've never heard of that. But yeah, we're going to dive into um, that more. And yet you've got a wonderful daughter called Daisy. I love her name, so bright. <laughs> And you also are a campaigner for fertility inclusion. So we, could you please tell the audience a bit about yourself? Um, the Stalk and I, such a magnificent, <laughs> such a magnificent title. And yeah, how you, um, you're also a podcaster as well. So please tell the audience about your single mummy journey. Yeah, so basically I split up with a long-term partner when I was 29. We'd been dating for seven years and I thought that we were going to get married and have children together, but that wasn't to be. We split up quite unexpectedly from my side um, when I was 29. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm 29. I've got loads of time still to meet somebody um, to have children. And after many, many years of internet dating, and for anyone who's internet dated, you'll probably feel my pain, it just didn't happen. So, and what happens is, the older you get, for me, the, the more I was approaching 35, the harder it is to date because you stop dating just to meet someone and you start dating because you want to have a baby if you're in that situation so dating became really challenging I didn't I wasn't meeting anyone and ultimately I thought oh my goodness I'm possibly going to miss out on becoming a mum because I can't meet the right person so I started looking at what are the options if I wanted to do this on my own. Now at that time, this was about five years ago, I didn't know a single other person who'd done this. And I was like, is this really something I want to do? It took me ages to work through almost like a grieving process of letting go of this fairy tale idea I had about how I was going to become a mum and embrace this different way. But ultimately I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss out. I couldn't imagine not being a mum. And so decided to pursue solo motherhood. So went to a fertility clinic and chose a sperm donor and had IVF on my own. And the, I created three embryos. And on the second embryo transfer, my, my daughter was born. And then I didn't know anybody who'd been on that journey. So I felt a bit lonely in my circumstances, not lonely in general, because I've got loads of friends and they were really supportive, but just lonely in the situation that nobody else I knew was experiencing the same things. And so I started the Stalk and I to try to help any other women who were in that situation not feel on their own. And honestly, I am bombarded now with so many people who are in that situation. It's hard, dating's hard. There's more and more people who aren't meeting that right person. And loads of people don't want to settle down with someone just because they want a baby they want to make sure it's the right person so yeah that's sort of a bit of the background about how it came to be brilliant so how how did you then because obviously you actually going down that route it's a it's very brave and yeah like you said it must have been a very lonely lonely road to go down so how did you tell like friends and family that look this is what I'm doing without them saying what what's going on 
So my approach to this was almost like drip feeding them. So some people do this like grand reveal, which I think is, I don't advise that. I did a, do you know what? If I can't meet someone, maybe this might be an option for me and sort of scoped out people's reactions. Mm -hmm. And then particularly with my mum, I was like, I'm looking at this as an option. I'm seriously, seriously considering this as an option. I think I'm going to do it. I'm ringing a, a sperm back or a clinic, you know, so bringing them on the journey with me because it took me three years to decide to actually do this from vaguely considering to actually doing it. And you can't expect your friends and family to just get on board the moment you tell them. If it's taken me three years, it's they're allowed a bit of time to get on board with it as well. Because I think the main thing is working through letting go of that, yeah. working through letting go of that fairy tale idea of, of how we think things are going to be. And our friends and family have to do that a little bit for us as well. They've also got a fairy tale idea of how they think things should be for us. So I mainly got really supportive um, feedback from people. So they just want me to be happy and they didn't want me to miss out on being a parent either. So yeah, mainly um, a huge amount of support. I love the fact that you said letting go of that fairy tale because um, I read a study that said that people that have, have been trying for a baby, when they actually let go, and they like seek adoption, they actually get, the, the studies show that people actually fall pregnant quicker when they just say, Jimmy, what? Fine, this is not happening right now. Let's go for adoption or fostering. And then when they have that child and they just remove that fairy tale of having a child, boom, it happens. So I wanna ask you, in regards to like the process of um, picking a donor, how did you, yeah, how did you go about it? Is it like an application form? Do you see like the height, the, like, how does that work? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways of doing it depending which clinic you use actually. So my situation is quite unique because my clinic, they get you to fill out a, a questionnaire, which is what things are important to you. And there's not a lot to choose from. So you can choose physical characteristics, height, eye color, hair color, um, and then there's also some basic things like religion. Um, they, they tell you, you know, what profession they're in, etc. And then they also write two letters. So they like write a letter to you to explain why they've donated. And they write a letter to your future child, just it, to also say why they've donated, but obviously it's written in a different way. And um, the way my clinic did it is, they then looked through the answers of my questionnaire and provided me two choices. Um, and then I just decided which one sort of spoke to me the most. Other clinics use uh, bigger sperm banks, as, um, particularly some sperm banks abroad, um, slightly bigger with a, a bigger selection of people. And then honestly, it's a bit like online dating. So you go on and you can see everyone's profile and all of the information. And there's lots of different levels of information. Some profiles just have basic information like what I described. Others have really a lot of information, voice notes, pictures, baby pictures of the person, even adult pictures of the person, um, like emotional intelligence results, medical history. So depending where you go, and then of course, how much you pay, you can get a different amount of information. So it depends for me, actually having two choices based on the fact that I, I don't really ever going to know that person 
at the point of deciding it was actually easier to only have two rather than it's a bit overwhelming I think to have all these hundreds of people that you've only got their profile to go on and I don't even if you've been on an internet date I'm like a real romantic so I'm like um this one seems really good and then you get there and you're like no that's yeah not I, I tried online dating it was horrible absolutely. yeah and yeah. and also I've shared this on the podcast before when I tried the online dating I saw three of my girlfriend's husbands on there <gasps> <laughs> I, I did. Oh, so then I was like if I can see you you can see me so I just deleted the app it wasn't it wasn't yeah it's not what people make it look like in regards to online dating I've seen some like lovely love stories and fairy tales that we met online we went on our first date and it was magnificent but for me yeah it just you can't really it's it's difficult to read the room you know yeah um, yeah it's yeah. hard and so I think I liken it a little bit to that that you you think that you've got an idea about how someone is from their profile but when you meet them in real life often that's nothing the same I had that in my mind about a sperm donor I just had to let go of the fact that I won't really know who this person is so all I've got to go on is the information I've got and I make the best decision with the information I've got and I liked what they'd written in the letter so yeah that's what I went on did you face um any because I know me being a single mum I faced some stigma with um like family me being like um, African as well and my, my family being a bit religious um so did you ever face any stigma towards your choices at all so I have or I had one friend who felt so strongly about it that he didn't want to to be in my life anymore and that's to do with his view of whether he thinks it's appropriate for somebody to be brought into the world knowingly not knowing who their biological father is so he was very anti it and couldn't maintain a friendship afterwards because he felt so strongly about it I think the thing that I talk, he's absolutely an exception. So the vast majority of people were totally supportive of it. And there's quite a lot of research that has been done that says it's more important the family that someone is brought up by is, you know, loving and caring and supportive rather than the form of that family, how many parents are, what sex mm-hmm. the parents are. So that reassures me a bit about that. Um, I think that The thing that we have to work through is uh, for our generation, we were brought up on, you know, I I watched way too many rom-coms where happily ever after was meeting a guy, getting married, living happily ever after. Fairy tales that we were told as children, that's how happily ever after was portrayed. Books that we read. Mm. It, It was all around us. And I think it's without us knowing, it's got deeply embedded that that is what success is. That is what, how you will achieve happiness. And so the stigma that I see is for myself, for all of the people that I coach on this subject and whether they want to pursue this path it's it's really around letting go of that idea that happily ever after can only be achieved Mm -hmm. following that route and and letting go of the idea of how you thought things might be and really fully embracing a different route and making it as positive but you're fighting constantly against society's expectations and what society is telling you about success and failure and happiness. So I think the main stigma is 
thinking that the nuclear family is the only way to achieve happiness and people have to really work at figuring out how they can set their lives up to be as happy if not more happy in some circumstances than people in in relationships that aren't working uh, doing it this different route but do you still not find because even me as a single mom now I still find people say to me oh don't worry you're going to meet someone and you're going to have this nuclear family so even when you don't have that quote-unquote nuclear family that um fairy tale is still chucked at you daily like even if I've got my law degree I've got my master's I'm working I'm doing a podcast it's still not enough I'm raising yeah, because my child. You- you haven't found one random person to partner up with all of your other achievements so who cares about any of them because you've not it's it's crazy and I love uh, listening to people speak about you know changing the narrative on being single and the fact that the be all and end all of life isn't to meet this one person and actually I've done a lot of research on redefining intimacy and rather than believing that one person will provide us all of this and solve all of our problems actually firstly we can provide a lot of that thing for ourselves Ourselves. we need to work through and make sure that we are providing ourselves that um you know what we need and secondly we can invite loads of different people into our lives to enrich them you don't need one person I've got so many different people that all provide me different things and yes I I am open to meeting someone I would like to meet somebody but I don't my life isn't on pause while that happens I don't think that's the only way to make me happy I'm happy as I am so yeah I think there's a massive stigma around that and so much work needs to be done and people are trying to be supportive they're like don't worry you'll meet someone but and they don't realize that's the opposite of being supportive yeah I think that ultimately with the time that you have um in your single journey I think that it's best for you to, this is what I'm doing for myself, building myself, finding out what makes me happy. Next year I'm embarking on taking myself out on dates, buying myself flowers. I don't need to get validation from someone else. We need to love ourselves and be whole. And then that person will be an addition because I think ultimately we're taught that someone else, our, our happiness is in someone else's hands, you know, and then we hand over our power to them, you know, and then we become like an emotional leech. Like, why are you not making me happy? But ultimately, if you're happy within yourself, that person is just an addition. So we need to reprogram our minds that if we meet this so cold, so, 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 so if we meet this person, magnificent, but if we don't, we still need to carve out our lives, even down to being separate from our children, you still need to carve out your life because ultimately our kids are going to grow and they're going to grow, you know, and that's where you get that kind of empty shell syndrome with people not actually having their lives and then depressed, but have your life, carve out what makes you happy because you have to be accountable for your life. And we only get one life after this, you know, (laughs) heaven or or whatever you believe but yeah you just have to find what makes you happy I was going to ask you have you um have you thought about questions that um Daisy may ask later because I've had questions for my son and my I've been a single parent since conception so like how are you bridge how are you going to bridge those questions from your child Yeah, I mean, she's already asking me. So she's three and a half, nearly four. 
and probably from two and a half actually she started asking questions but in in a really positive way and I was really prepared to answer them so I think that kids are really observant they see what's around them and so they try to figure out how they fit in um, with everybody else that's around them so when we spent time with her friends who had a mummy and a daddy she wanted to understand what her family situation was so from birth actually I started talking to her about her conception and there's lots of books that you can use to do that she knows way more about how babies are made than loads of people much older than her and it's all been really matter of fact and she's accepted it and it, it's all positive so she knows that you need an egg from a woman and a sperm from a man and you put that together and you put it into the uterus and that's how a baby's made and if you haven't got the sperm from a man because I told her I couldn't find um, a daddy that would be good enough so I got the sperm from a donor so I don't think she understands really what the concept of a donor is she's a bit young but she definitely understands like the high level and she's very clear she doesn't have a daddy obviously when she's older I can explain to her more about the the biological side of things but she knows that her family is me and my mum and dad so her granny and granddad then she starts reeling off so many people in her like if you ask who's in her family she goes through the whole like list of so so I really focus on who is in her family rather than who isn't in her family and we just have really good, honest chats about it. And I constantly clarifying that she understands. And I just want her to be really confident to be able to share with other people when they ask her. And then when people ask me, I sort of involve her in the conversation. So kids quite often ask you, like other kids. So, you know, they say, where's Daisy's daddy or where's your boyfriend? And I always just say, oh, Daisy hasn't got a daddy. You've not got a daddy, have you, Daisy? Um, who have you got in your family? And then she talks about who she has got. So I um, listened to Sarah Sproul, um, a lady on Instagram, and she really helps with how to have those honest conversations about all sorts of different situations. And I've really followed her advice. And the most important thing for me, I think, is to really talk about it with confidence so that my daughter sees me confident about it and she feels confident about it. I think if your children see you like, oh, oh uh, and all not knowing how to answering something and getting flustered and awkward, they might think that there's something wrong with the situation. But I'm super confident that there's nothing wrong with our situation our situation is a perfect situation it might be different from some of her friends but we talk a lot about diversity and I've got a, gr a great book called the great big book of families and it talks about some families are made up of a mummy and a daddy some two daddies some two mummies etc some people have got pets some people live in a flat some people live in a house. it's all the different sorts of things that you can do different religions and I just say to her you know every family is different this is our family um, we find out about other people's families. We embrace every situation. The most important thing is love. Uh, that's how I address it with her. So it's gone really well so far. Sometimes she says, I wish I had a daddy, but I don't look into it too much because she also says she wishes she has everything her friends had. Do you know what I mean? She wants the new doll that her friends got she wants everything so I don't really think at this age she knows exactly what that means yeah. I 
think she just wants what she sees her friends having. And I certainly don't think there's anything missing. You know, she's got so many amazing people in her life that spend time with her. So yeah, I think it's uh, confidently talking about it for me is the key. You're like exuding so much strength right now. But in regards to your journey, like uh, especially with like the pregnancy and the prenatal classes, I remember asking one of my girlfriends to come with me to the prenatal classes and I was sat there on the floor and they were telling us how to breathe and then like put your fingers up and pretend like you're blowing out candles and there were so many like couples there and although my friend there was there to help me in my heart it broke I was like oh my god like I wish I had him here you know at any given time did you just think oh lord I've been so strong for so long have I made the right decision at all? Yeah, I don't think that at all. I think I worked through that before I decided to do this. Yeah. So it for me, what I see is that is the beginning of the end of happiness. Um, if you, It's comparison really, isn't it? So if you're thinking about how it could have been, how it should have been, how other people have got it, I just see it meaning that your life is harder. I always think to myself, this is my situation. Don't get me wrong. There's lots of things that are a struggle, but I don't ever go to, I wish I had a partner. I think in my life, how can I make this struggle easier within my current situation with what's available to me? So I, my mind doesn't go there, but I do think, don't get me wrong, it took me three years to decide to do this. And I think it was that time that I spent letting go of that idea so that when I did start this journey, that didn't come to mind at all, um, which is so much easier for me now that I've worked through that. So I always just look at how can I make the best of the situation I'm in? And I haven't got a partner, so that doesn't come onto my radar it's can my friends help me can my parents help me is there something I can do differently I think that is a much healthier way to look at it I totally understand particularly if you've started it with a partner how you might always go back and compare how it might have been but I've done a lot of work to stop comparing myself and just make the most of my situation so fast forward to, to now, because um, you've been a, um, a coach now for three years, I think, or more, um, and you're the first solo parenthood coach. So please tell us um, a bit of, yeah, how did you, become, I know you said that there was a gap in the market and you didn't find anyone to fulfill that need, but like, yeah, that is so brave. How did you come about it? Tell us about a bit about, a bit more about that, please. So I've basically been coaching for years. I was a life coach and I was mainly coaching women who were at a bit of a crossroads in their life of knowing what they wanted to do. And so all I've really done is become a bit more specific on coaching. Exactly. The exact audience who were in the situation that I was in. Um, my absolute passion is that people don't have to feel alone on this journey. I My informal role is a solo parenthood matchmaker. So not in a romantic sense, but in a friendship sense. So if 
people say, oh, I'm, there's a great example of there was a lady who attended my group coaching course who lived in Dubai. And I was like, oh, another lady came on the course who lived in Dubai. Do you want me to introduce you? And so I introduced them and now that they are supporting each other because they're going through a similar thing at a similar time. So it's um, using my coaching skills to help empower people who are looking to embark on solo parenthood to understand what the options are, what the process is, how they can set themselves up in the best way, how to let go of some of their beliefs that they've they've grown up with, how to reframe stuff, and just how to really thrive in their situation. So I mainly do group coaching I do some one-to-one coaching but group coaching of people who are considering solo parenthood and also group coaching for pregnant solo parents which I think is super powerful getting a lot of people who are pregnant at the same time together and the power of the community so I give them information resources exercises for reframing but one of the massive like benefits of going on the course is you meet 11 other amazing women and sometimes we start off just with some short introductions and people are almost like okay that's enough for me I've met 11 other women in this situation and none of them are failing they're all amazing so now I just feel like I'm not a failure actually I just feel really supported and I found my community so I think community is so important like getting people in who get it who are in a similar situation as you together and that's what I tried to do. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning of you embarking on, on your journey? So many things. I, I wish <laughs> that I had not worried what everyone else would think so much. So I was really concerned about would other people judge me? Would other people think badly of me? Would they think I was a failure? You know, I just wanted to do a, let's put it in quotes, um, a normal journey. I didn't want to be different. I just wanted yeah. to do the same as what everyone else was doing. And I, so I wish I'd not spent so long worrying what other people would think. Um, I wish I, I mean, I, I didn't need to spend three years considering it. That was working through what everyone else was thinking. But to be honest, things happen at the right time for you anyway. So that's fine. I, it would have been great to know more people who were going through it so that I could have felt supported. I just think at that time, there wasn't so many people out there. Um, they're, they're the main things. Um, I think there wasn't much information available. So I didn't really know anything about it, what my options were. And that's what I've tried to create so that in one place, I've consolidated all the information for people to find. How have you found the pandemic on a side note? I mean, the beginning was pretty bad. Um, I'm sure that you can, you, yes. you know, probably feel the same. Those, those fir that first lockdown, I think I had two months with a full-time job. And at that point it was a two-year-old and that was like, wow. Um, but one of the things that it taught me was I can do this on my own. I don't want to, it was horrific, <laughs> but I can, but I can. Yeah. And that sort of gives you a bit of confidence that when things got a little bit better, you're like, Oh, I can nail this now. I mean, I, I did that for two months. Now I can do anything. Um, and it made me reevaluate stuff. It made me reevaluate family. I moved house to live closer to my parents. Mm -hmm. I started my own podcast. 
there's lots of benefits but yeah I'm not gonna lie the first two months were horrific <laughs> yeah I, I I figured out that I'm not good with homeschooling at all it's not yeah. my forte at all so I learned a lot about myself and my child yeah, <laughs> yeah. so let's go on to your podcast because she's a podcaster as well guys so please <laughs> tell us a bit about it yeah, so I, I just decided to start it in lockdown because, you know, what else do we do in lockdown? Let's start. Well, I wasn't going out partying, that's for sure. So I had some time in the evenings and um, I wanted to get more voices out there on this subject. So what I've done is I've taken it in turns every series. So I've done one series talking to solo parents themselves. So to hear the story of solo parents lots of different scenarios you know everyone's story is different even if you've chosen the same path so trying to get a variety of stories out there that people can connect with and different people can think oh yeah that's you know I totally I feel the same and then the next series is around um from experts so for people who are considering this journey listening to experts along the process really and so every series I've tried to alternate that to just get a variety of voices. And one of the things that I'm looking to do now is to get more donor conceived people's voices out there. So yeah. talking to people who have been donor conceived about how they felt and their advice. Um, some people have struggled being donor conceived. And I think what we want to make sure is that we do everything in our power to make sure that our children are don't suffer from you know their conception story and that they have the best that they can so getting those voices out there learning from them keeping an open mind like knowing that I I certainly don't know everything I haven't got all the answers I'm always learning but trying to share everything I learn with a wider audience as well so yeah, series four is just about to finish and I'm going to start recording. No, no, I think that the donor conceived, um, I, yeah, I can't wait to tune into that because I remember when I was doing my master's um, in human rights, there was um, a girl that I be we became really close and she was adopted. So, and she was open about her, her story. Um, and I said to her, hey, would you ever find, want to find your, your parents? And she was like, no. And I, I was shocked by it because I, I was like, I would want to know. You know? Mm. But she was like, no, they gave me up. And I have all I need with my parents, you mm. know. And it kind of changed my perspective on like the, we have so much ideas of what it's like to be in that situation. And when people are actually that in that situation, it's not as, I don't know, horrendous as we think it might be. She was happy. She was doing her master's. She had everything that she needed because they had provided the attachment that she, she needed. She never lacked. So she wasn't like seeking for, <laughs> for validation from, from, from these, the, her, her parents. So yeah, I think that that would be magnificent. Yeah, and I think there's a whole range of different experiences because in my research, many people are really curious about their biological identity and the, the the donor and who they are and that's also fine um, and it's it's usually not a reflection that they didn't have a great upbringing and that they don't feel like their parents are their parents but they've just got 
same as us really you know quite a lot of people are interested in their family history and trying to learn more about it, it it's a, it's a similar thing so um yeah getting a, a lot of different perspective of, of how people feel and understanding there's loads of different feelings and you almost don't know how your child's going to feel but as long as we're talking to them about how we feel how they feel and supporting them with that I think that's the key so yeah it'll be great to to, to find out a bit more about that but if a woman is listening right now and she wants to um, embark on this journey um, as a solo parent what are the steps that you would advise her or should she just join your coaching program <laughs> well, that, that would be my uh, my suggestion but one of the things I would say follow me on Instagram to get an insight into what life is really like as a solo parent so I try to show the realities it's not a fairy tale like parenting is hard I think any parent will tell you that so you have got to make a decision on do you want to do this solo because it isn't easy um so I try to share the realities of solo parenting and then yeah I have I share lots of information about the journey and where you can start I've got a Facebook group called the stalk and I mum tribe Facebook group where there's lots of people in the same situation all sharing information and advice and then if you really want to consider it then yeah I definitely recommend the group coaching course we we talk through the emotional aspects of it the practical like how you choose a clinic a sperm donor treatment etc and then some of the things like how you set yourself up, how you support yourself through it, how you build a support network, how you manage treatment on your own, etc. So we cover all, all of those range of things or um, have a binge listen to the podcast um, that covers all of that as well. So lots of ways. A funny question, actually, that's just popped in my mind. At, at any given time, is, it, is the treatment painful at all or is it just? Very rarely. So as a solo parent, you aren't entitled to funded treatment unless you can prove that you have a medical fertility issue. But it's very difficult to prove that if you haven't got a partner because you so if you've been trying in the past with a partner and it's taken um you know more than a year or you have been trying and they've identified a medical issue you may be el eligible for funding but currently as it stands not having a partner isn't a medical issue and therefore you don't qualify for treatment it's a really controversial subject because <laughs> it's it's the i mean i understand the nhs is under a lot of pressure and they have to prioritize what they will um, fund but it does mean that lots of women are under immense financial pressure because it is really expensive so I, you know the next question i'm gonna ask how much does it actually cost i mean there's a massive range because there's different treatment types, there's different medications, there's different costs of sperm. The, the, the cheapest really in the UK, I would say, would be £2,500 if you have IUI, which is um, more when they inject the sperm into you. Okay. Um, if you have IVF, you're looking like minimum five thousand pounds up to like ten twelve thousand including donor sperm so yeah it's it's 
it's really challenging. Lots of people have to decide between IUI and IVF. IVF has got a much greater chance of success, but it's much more expensive. But if you have three rounds of IUI, you could have paid for a round of IVF. Uh, um, and this is very approximate. So it's really difficult to decide what to do. And yeah, you have to have a lot of money or get into debt to, to be able to- Are there it. like campaigns that are pushing for more inclusion? Um, not that I know of on this area, actually. So I look at um, fertility inclusion, which is more around the, the process. So making sure that the clinics, sometimes it's like a process for heterosexual couples and everyone else is pushed into it. So like if you if they if you go and they have the application form and then they say partner and you say oh, I haven't got a partner and then they put a big red cross through the partner section that you know it's 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 advising them on how to be more inclusive using different language using um different processes using the process that fits your needs not fitting you into a different process so the um there's, there's a lot of work on that. In terms of campaigning for treatment to be paid for at the moment, not, not that I know of, no. Cool, So Mel, where can people find you on social media to get some more information? Where can they access your podcast, join your Facebook group? Please let the audience know. The, the best place to go is my website, which is thestalkandi.com. And then that gives you the links to, to all of those other things. I'm on Instagram as thestalkandi. It's stalk as in S-T-O-R-K. Some people message me with stalk as in stalker. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's stalk <laughs> as in the stalk carrying the child. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but my website's got all the information. So I'd head there. That's brilliant. So what I, I did ask earlier, but how did you come up with the title? Funnily enough, I was uh, had a brainstorm with some friends of mine on what I could call this. And, you know, there's the analogy of the stork bringing the child, um, which we all know isn't how babies are made. But it, it sort of represents the fact that you don't always need a man and a woman to make a baby in the traditional way. Um, it, it sort of represents that there's different ways for babies to come into your life. Um, yeah, that's how that's how I came up with and it. That's brilliant, Mill. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Happy Single Mum podcast and sharing your magnificent story. Thank you for having me. Oh, brilliant. I'm breaking your